Well, hello and welcome to Rare Nautical Reads with me, Chris Stanmore Major. In this episode, we're continuing Strange But True, The Life and Adventures of Captain Thomas Crapo and Wife, published in New Bedford in 1893. We're on part eight, and we're continuing chapter four. As we again hauled in our drogue about 11 o'clock on the morning of June the 18th, we again set sail and proceeded on our course before the wind. The seas were running so heavy that the boat laboured very hard, and it often looked as though we would be swamped. As the high seas came up behind us, it looked as though it would completely envelop us from sight. When in the trough of the sea, it looked like a large wall in front and back, with no chance of escape, but we would rise on top again like a duck and shoot ahead, ready to surmount the next one. By dead reckoning, we were in latitude 43 degrees 43 minutes, longitude 55 degrees 30 minutes. Thus we sailed during the day and night, and the morning of the 19th opened with the wind considerably lighter from the northwest and quite clear, and by four o'clock in the afternoon it was very calm. We were now in latitude 43 degrees 42 minutes, longitude 54 degrees 50 minutes. The wind increased again towards night, and before morning was again blowing a heavy gale. The 20th was ushered in with the wind still increasing and blowing from the south, and a heavy rain set in. I managed to catch a small pitcherful while laid to under our drogue. Late in the day, the wind took a slant to the west and moderated, when we again started steering east-southeast by the compass. The wind again increased, so I furled the mainsail and ran before the wind under the foresail, with a very heavy sea running from the west. I had occasion to go forward, and when I returned I accidentally stepped on my compass and broke the glass, but did not do any other damage to it. I then took two of the glasses from my lantern and fitted it the best I could, as a small one I had was no good at all. June the 21st opened with a heavy gale from the westward. We ran under foresail, and about two in the afternoon we sighted a fisherman at anchor with a storm trysail up, as the sea was running very heavy on the Grand Banks, the banks of Newfoundland. We were then running under our foresail, so we ran down and spoke her, and on inquiry we were informed that we were in latitude 43 degrees 43 minutes. The vessel proved to be a fisherman from Provincetown, but as she had so many boats around her, we could not get her name. It was about three o'clock in the afternoon when we spoke her. We ran by and hove to in sight of her with our drogue out ahead. About five in the afternoon, while under our drogue, an English bark named the Aminori ran down and spoke us. She was from Baltimore, bound for Glasgow, Scotland. The captain asked if we wanted any assistance, and as we replied in the negative, they proceeded after giving us the longitude of 50 degrees one minute. As they passed, they gave us a rousing cheer and cries of good luck to you. During the evening, the wind moderated, but after midnight, during the early morning hours of the 22nd, it again increased, harder than before. I took in my mainsail and scudded under my foresail. I did not want to stop again if I could help it, as I had just got under way, as the wind increased again and it was considerable work to keep putting out the drogue. But as the wind still kept increasing and the seas ran so high, I had to heave to in order to ensure our safety, and as everything appeared in good shape, I took a short nap. As the gale continued, I had a good time to rest, which I needed very much. During the time, I figured by dead reckoning, and found we were in about latitude 43 degrees 54 minutes. I did not take the longitude every day. About five o'clock in the afternoon, the wind took a lull, and the sea quieted down a little, so I hauled in my drogue and squared away under our foresail, 
continued under the foresail through the night with the wind from the westward. The 23rd was ushered in with a fresh breeze from the south, and it continued to increase. As we were sailing along with the wind on our beam, we nearly capsized, and as I saw it would probably prove dangerous to continue, I hove to under the drogue. Soon a heavy tempest set in and continued with very heavy rain nearly all night. My readers all know what a heavy thunderstorm is on shore, but it is nothing compared to a thunderstorm at sea. The sky settles as black as ink, when the thunder fairly shakes one's whole being and flashes of lightning nearly blind you. Simple words cannot adequately describe it. Every flash that dashes across the blackened heavens is plainly seen, as there is nothing above the surface to break off the view, and the constant roll of the thunder, coupled with the drenching rain, was enough to make the strongest man quail. Thunderstorms, as everyone knows, are never very pleasant, as they are almost always coupled with more or less danger. Many times the lightning strikes houses, trees, or human beings, and for us two to be alone in a little boat, hundreds of miles from land and nothing but water in sight, no wonder we were more or less frightened, and we were more than pleased when it passed over. As I was yet as wet as a drowned rat and had to keep a sharp lookout for fear of being run down by some ocean steamer or sailing vessel. As I before stated, the drogue I had was far from being heavy enough to hold the boat steady, and really I class it as an interposition of providence as I chanced to see a keg floating towards us, which I lost no time in securing. When I knocked the hoops off and cut them free with a hatchet, leaving them about 15 inches in diameter, I then put three of them together and fastened them with rope yarns. I then took an old canvas hammock I had on board and cut it in the shape of a drawwater bucket and sewed it to the hoops with rope yarns. I then fastened it with spun yarn so it would pull even, about the same as the handle on a water pail, but I put on two, one opposite to the other. After completing it, I fastened it to the line five fathoms longer than the one I had and put it out, and it was a godsend indeed, as it, coupled with the other, held us very nicely. During the night, and especially the early hours of the morning, I was kept busy hauling in on the drogue line when I saw a very large sea coming and easing it off when it passed, which was tedious work. This was the morning of the 24th. Early in the forenoon we sighted a sail heading towards the westward, and we were expecting she would get by without seeing us. When she was within about a mile of us, she veered from her course and ran down towards us. She proved to be the ocean steamship Batavia from Liverpool for Boston, under command of Captain John E. Moreland. As she came close to us, the captain hailed us and asked us if we wanted any assistance, to which I replied no. He asked where we were bound, when I replied to England. He then said that when he sighted us, he thought that it was a boat with survivors from some wrecked vessel. I then stood on deck, holding on to my mainmast. He then asked if we wanted to be taken off, to which I again replied, no, but I said I should like to be reported. All this time, handkerchiefs were waving from nearly every deadlight on the steamer. The captain gave us the latitude at 44 degrees, longitude 48 degrees 20 minutes. We then parted company as the steamer proceeded on her course, dipping her flags as a salute to us, to which we responded by dipping ours. The accompanying picture shows us as sketched by the mate of the steamer at the time, who presented it to me about six months after in New York, as I took dinner with him on board. The captain at the time gave me a letter certifying the fact of his speaking us at the time. Following is a copy of the letter. New York, January 29th. 1878. 
I hereby certify that I spoke the boat New Bedford in latitude 44 degrees north, longitude 48 degrees west, bound to England and manned by a man and a woman at 9 a.m. June 20th, 1877. At that time, they reported themselves in good condition and required nothing. John E. Moreland, Commander Cunard Steamship Batavia. As I had requested Captain Moreland to report us on his arrival, the following which appeared in the daily papers proved that he did so. They reported thus, Crapo spoken, seen in mid-ocean, all well, in want of nothing. Cunard Steamship Batavia arrived Monday at Boston from Liverpool and reported that on Wednesday, June 20th at 9.15am, a small sailboat was sighted. The steamer, after bearing down upon her, stopped within hailing distance. It proved to be the little boat New Bedford, with Captain Thomas Crapo and wife on board. They reported having experienced heavy weather, but were both well and in want of nothing. The officers of the steamer gave them their position as latitude 44 degrees north, longitude 48 west. The New Bedford, it will be remembered, sailed from this port Monday, May the 28th, and from Chatham, her real port of departure, Saturday, June 2nd. She was last spoken June 7th in latitude 42 degrees 20 minutes, longitude 64 degrees 22 minutes. She had sailed in the neighbourhood of 850 miles since previously spoken and 1,140 miles since leaving Chatham. I wish to state to my readers that there is a slight mistake in the report of the Batavia, as the paper stated that she spoke as on the 20th of June, but it is entered in my logbook as the 24th, which was the time we were spoken. I explain this so my readers will not be misled in the dates and positions of our voyage. The gale continued through the night, with the seas running mountains high, with the wind from the westward. The boat laboured very hard, and the seas were continually breaking over her, which showed the velocity of the wind. About nine o'clock on the morning of the 25th, I hauled in the drogue, which I had tended for the past eighteen hours, and proceeded on our course, steering east-south-east by the compass. We continued on through the day and the following night until daylight on the 26th when I hove to and took a nap. When I awoke, the sky was still very heavy and overcast and no signs of the sun breaking through. The wind had moderated, but the seas were still running very high. Nothing but gulls and porpoises in sight. The porpoises many times coming so close to our boat that I could touch them. Later in the day, the wind increased and again blew quite heavy, but we continued to run under our foresail. Along towards night, we sighted a Swansea brig, which ran down and spoke us. The captain says, Give us a line, and we'll tow you. We are not crossing the ocean that way, I replied. The seas were running so high, and her name was so badly painted, we could not make it all out. All we could make out was the word Swansea. About an hour after speaking the brig, we saw a very large sunfish, which measured, I should judge, all of three feet across the back. These sunfish are very queer-looking fish, the underpart very much resembling a scallop. They are not good for eating purposes. The only part I ever heard of being put to use was the liver, which is very much sought for, as the oil from it is claimed to be very good for the relief of that painful disease, rheumatism. We continued on through the night with a strong wind until about four o'clock in the morning of June 27th, when I took my usual nap and, after breakfast, started again with the wind blowing from the southwest. I steered east by the compass to keep out of the trough of the sea, as they were still running very high. Before noon, it began to rain so hard, which soon wet me to the skin, and we began to ship large quantities of water, 
which made it very unpleasant for us. We ran along until about six o'clock in the afternoon, when, owing to the increase of the wind and heavy seas, I again hove to and put out my drogue. During the early hours of the night, the wind took a slant to the northwest and increased in its fury, but moderated again towards morning, so much so that about seven o'clock on the 28th, I hauled in our drogue and proceeded on our course with the wind from the west. About nine o'clock in the forenoon, we sighted a sail heading to the westward, and we were probably seen by them about the same time. We sighted them as they changed their course and headed for us, and as she arrived within hailing distance, the captain hailed us. She proved to be the Bremen bark Amphitrite from Bristol, England, bound to Quebec, under command of Captain Gears. He invited us to come on board, but we respectfully declined. But as the captain's wife urged us so hard, we at last consented to go on board for a short time. The captain then ordered the sailors to get down in our boat to fend her off and keep her from pounding against the side of the ship, and we were then on board. And what a relief that was to our tired and cramped limbs. Simple words cannot adequately describe the sensation, as we had been cramped into a small compass where we could scarcely turn around for 26 days, and to once more be permitted to walk, run or jump was pleasure indeed. As we stepped on board, we were greeted with applause from all on board, and the captain and his wife, who were a newly married couple, escorted us down into their cabin. At the same time, issuing orders to haul aback the vessel's yards to keep her from sailing along. We were pleasantly entertained while on board, and dinner was served and we all sat down, which also was very pleasing for us to have a chance to sit down and quietly partake of a well-prepared meal placed on a table and a comfortable chair to sit in. We remained on board about three quarters of an hour. While on board, I wrote two letters directed to New Bedford, which the captain was to mail for me upon his arrival in port. We then made preparations to go aboard of our boat again, and we were prevailed upon to accept two bottles of choice wine, which we were very grateful for. We then went aboard, and our lines were cast off, goodbyes were said, and amid cheers from all, we parted company and sailed on our course. The crew were waving handkerchiefs and hats as long as we could see them, to which we responded by dipping our colours. During our conversation at dinner, I requested the captain to report us upon his arrival, and to prove that he did, the following shows which was printed in the papers. The New Bedford reported, Captain and Mrs. Crapo eat dinner on board Bark Amphitrite, the voyager as well. Captain Gears of the Bark Amphitrite from Bristol, England, reported that June 26th, in latitude 44 degrees 39 north, longitude 43 west, met the 20-foot boat, schooner-rigged whaleboat, New Bedford, 22 days out, with Mr. and Mrs. Crapo on board, hove to and two voyagers boarded the Amphitrite. They remained to dinner and expressed themselves well satisfied so far with the voyage to Europe, and stated that they had enjoyed good health. At parting, Captain Gears provided them with wine and water and a few small articles. When the two vessels separated, the New Bedford steered east-northeast, and the ship's company gave them three cheers and wished them Godspeed. I wish here to call to the attention of my readers the fact that the above report claims that the vessel spoke us on June 26th, when in reality, according to my log, it was June 28th. Yet it does not matter which it is, only I don't wish to make any false statements if possible. We watched her until she disappeared from view, and we were again alone upon the broad Atlantic with nothing but water in sight. While on board the Amphitrite, I noticed that according to her compass, mine was about two points out, 
no doubt caused by my stepping on it. This being so, would be liable to carry us considerably farther to my southward than we wanted to go, but I was now on my guard and could steer accordingly. Later in the day, the wind took a slant and began to blow quite heavy, and the seas began to make very rapidly, and to cap the climax, rain squalls set in, which wet me to the skin. As the wind increased, I hove to and put out my drogue and laid to until about five o'clock in the morning of the 29th, when we hauled it in and proceeded on. About ten in the forenoon, we spoke the English bark Pool Scar of Liverpool, from Lubeck to the English Channel. After parting company with her, the wind again increased and we outsailed the Pool Scar by leading her about two miles. Later, the wind canted to the northwest, which gave her a chance to show us her heels, as all of her sails would now draw to a good advantage. She easily drew along and passed us in the night. The captain gave us the longitude as 37 degrees 12 minutes by the chronometer. The morning of the 30th dawned clear and beautiful, but the wind soon began to blow quite heavily. The seas made fast, and the wind continued to increase, so that the little boat laboured very heavily, and the seas were continually breaking over her, and I at last deemed it advisable to heave to. Our bedding was completely saturated, and everything very wet, and to make it more uncomfortable, about four in the afternoon a very heavy rainstorm set in, and continued through the night. The wind began to moderate about 3am on July 1st, and about 5 we hauled in our drogue and proceeded on the course. At about 11, the wind canted to the north, and light breezes prevailed with occasional rain squalls, and about 3 in the afternoon it was a settled calm. About 5 o'clock, the wind backed into the northeast, accompanied by heavy rain, which continued through the night. Daylight of July 2nd, found us surrounded by heavy storm clouds and the rain falling in torrents, and whales appeared all around us. About nine o'clock, I lay down to sleep and told my wife to keep awake and keep a sharp lookout, and I will here state, just as she explains it, her story is thus. I kept awake all night until about eleven o'clock, when my eyes grew so heavy that I put fresh water on them to try to keep them open. I then put on salt water, as the fresh did not appear to do any good, and this made them awful sticky, but as they continued to draw together, I lay down and was asleep in a moment. Somewhat about one o'clock, I awoke with a start. Something seemed to be pulling me, and I jumped up at once, and looking out, saw a large steamer heading directly for us. I hallooed to my husband to wake up at once, which he did, and grabbed our lantern, which was a burning, and waved it aloft. The steamer, as was lucky for us both, had a competent person on lookout, as the minute he waved our lantern, we could see the steamer sheer to one side. We hailed, but could not understand their language. We suppose she was a German, but do not know. My readers can readily picture to themselves what our danger was, lying to without any breeze right in the track of passing vessels and both of us asleep, and it was fortunate for us that she awoke as she did, as it would only have been but a few seconds before she would have struck us and no one aboard the large steamer would have been any the wiser. But thank heaven, we were permitted to proceed without accident, but I made up my mind to do no more sleeping nights. About four in the morning, a light breeze sprang up from the southward, when we proceeded, steering east-southeast by the compass. About five o'clock, rain squalls set in, and about ten in the forenoon, we sighted the English bark Ontario of Windsor, Nova Scotia, from Hamburg for New York. We ran alongside and got a keg of fresh water, as ours had become unfit for use, and we talked with them 
and they seemed to be pleased to see us. After we had put the water they gave us into our water keg, we thanked them and bade them goodbye. About four in the afternoon, a thick fog settled around which hung on through the early part of the night. After midnight, it cleared and the wind breezed up from the southward, and about four o'clock in the morning I took a nap. This was on the 3rd of July. When I awoke, we again made sail and proceeded, and about the middle of the day a heavy thunderstorm set in, which was so heavy that we hove to and waited for it to pass over. But it was early in the morning of the 4th that clouds dispersed and the stars peeped forth. This July 4th was lacking of the noise and rattle of a 4th on shore, and our minds were carried back to the little city of New Bedford as a reminder of the fact. The day opened quite clear with a moderate breeze, and later in the day we were left becalmed. But towards night it breezed up again, and we sailed along on our course. July 5th opened with a clear sky and a moderate breeze from the southeast, with nothing but water in sight. Early in the afternoon, a heavy fog settled around us and held on until about midnight, and we had to sail by the wind as near our course as possible. Thus the day of July 6th passed. About one in the morning of July 7th, the fog had entirely disappeared, and a moderate breeze was blowing from the southeast, and we barely moved along. About six in the morning, we sighted a sail which gradually drew nearer, and about ten o'clock she was within hailing distance when she spoke us. She proved to be the Norwegian bark, Honor, bound for Cork. The captain gave us the longitude as 29 degrees 30 minutes. He, like all others, urged us to come on board, but we respectfully declined. The captain also offered to provide us with anything they had on board, but we were not in want of anything, so amid cheers from the crew, we drifted apart and were soon out of sight of each other. About two o'clock in the afternoon, the wind freshened from the south, and the sea made very fast. The sky was clear, but we had to work against a head sea which grew worse all the time. We could only make an east course by the compass, which was all of two points from our course. Thus we continued on, and about one in the early morning of the 8th, the weather settled very cloudy, but the wind still held to the southward, and the sea still held its own. During the forenoon, the sea began to moderate. About ten o'clock of the same morning, we sighted a steamer coming astern of us and approaching very fast. As she drew near, she ran close and spoke us. She proved to be the ocean steamer Denmark from New York to London, England. The engines were stopped and we were asked to come on board, which we did not see fit to do. But I ran towards her and as we drew near, a line was thrown to us, which I caught and made fast around our foremast and we were drawn alongside. Two of the crew were then ordered down to pass us provisions, which it seemed were all prepared for us unsolicited. They also presented us with a keg of water, which I lashed to my mainmast for the time being. The captain and crew were very good to us, and seemed to think that they could not do enough for us. We thanked them all for the favours shown us, and with well wishes for our safe arrival, we cast off and proceeded amid cheers from all on board. The captain also gave us the correct longitude as 27 degrees 26 minutes, and the steamer's engines were again put in motion, and thus we parted and soon she disappeared from view. On arrival in England, Captain Williams gave me the following letter. SS Denmark, London, December, 1877. Captain Crapo. Dear Sir, as you are now about leaving England, and some people have been sceptical as to your crossing the Atlantic in the small boat New Bedford, you are at perfect liberty to use my testimony as to passing you at sea on your voyage. July 7th, 7.30pm, 
latitude 47 degrees 12 minutes north, 27 degrees 33 minutes west. Robert P. Williams, Master, National Steamship Companies, SS Denmark of Liverpool. About two in the afternoon, the wind freshened and we experienced very heavy squalls. During the afternoon, about four o'clock, I furled my foresail and took a short nap. About 8.30, I woke and proceeded with the weather very thick. Our course by compass was southeast by east, half east. Thus we continued on, and the ninth opened with the wind from the same quarter, and a heavy rainstorm set in. This coupled with a heavy cross sea made it very uncomfortable for us. My readers can readily imagine what a drenching rainstorm at sea in a small boat must be, as a heavy storm on shore can easily be taken as an illustration. Yet we had to take it. And no matter how wet we were, we had no means of drying our clothes, only in the open air, aided by the sun, which did not shine every day, as my readers can see. Well, that's the end of today's chapter, and we're going to continue with the story tomorrow. Now, if you haven't already, consider please going over to patreon.com forward slash the mariner. You can follow the link in the podcast description. And there we have a growing community of people just like yourself who are interested in sailing, interested in seamanship, and interested to learn more techniques and tips that can help their time on their boat be safer and more enjoyable. So at $5 a month, your donation directly contributes to me being able to produce the podcasts and keeps the lights on, keeps the wheels going round. But if you are interested in developing your skills further, then you may be interested to increase your contribution to the next level up, to the mate level, and there, for $20 a month, you get access to the one-hour professionally produced seamanship training videos that we do each month, which drill down and look at specific aspects of seamanship and safety at sea, get into the nitty-gritty of it, and uh, share with you information that can make your time at sea both more enjoyable and safer. So if any of that sounds interesting, go along to patreon.com forward slash the mariner or follow the link in the podcast description and become part of the community. But that's all for today, so I hope that wherever you are and whatever you're doing, you are safe and sound, and I look forward to speaking to you in the next one. Cheers. Cheers.